egalitarians. We say that leadership is based on calling and character, not based on your gender. But I want to start by praying, because as I said, it is a divisive issue. And before I pray, one more thing. This is not a salvation issue. When I'm in heaven, I will be in heaven with people who are firmly right now in the complementarian camp, and they will be in heaven with me in the egalitarian camp. In the same way that people who believe in uh, baptism, adult baptism, will be in the same heaven as people that believe in infant baptism. This is not a salvation issue, but it can be a painful <coughs> issue, and uh, lots of people come with hurt and with um, stories in this whole area. So I just want to pray. And say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're here, that you're with us, that you're for us. I thank you that wherever your spirit is, you bring unity. And I pray that uh, for us this morning, not just us as a gathered group, but in all the groups that we represent, that more and more as your church, we would learn how to champion one another and to stand alongside uh, our brothers and sisters that have differing views. And would you just enable us to do this journey together this morning where we're going to be looking at lots of uh, tough things and stuff to get our head around. Just be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I've said that at Soul Survivor we are both firmly in the egalitarian camp, and for us that's because we see it in the Bible. And uh, one of the principles that we're going to be looking to apply today is whenever you look at the Bible and the Bible seems to contradict itself, pull back and ask, what's the bigger picture? What is the consistent message of the Bible? And so when you read something that seems like, hold on a minute, didn't something else happen a minute ago? Then you need to pull back. And often the best place to start when you pull back is to go right to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, because in Genesis what we see is perfection. So you don't have to then put on the lens of, well, how was sin involved in this decision? Or what does it look like? You, you can pull back and look at perfection. And this is what we see in Genesis. We see creation. God has created and he's made everything good and beautiful. And there is harmony. There is complete harmony. There's harmony between human beings and creation. There's harmony between human beings and human beings. And there's harmony between human beings and God. And then uh, God says, oh, I've got too far, because he hasn't yet created human beings in the bit that I'm about to read. Because in Genesis 1:26, God says, let us, and remember what Matt was saying last night about the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are in constant relationship. They are one, but they are three, but they are one. And together they said, let us make mankind human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild creatures, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is Genesis 1, 26 to 28, for those of you that want that. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. This is the story of God creating human beings. And having created them, he says to them, and Genesis very specifically says male and female, and he gives them two mandates that, um, uh, that um, in many ways summarise every other mandate, you know. And, and it's this, rule, be fruitful. And it's given to both. So rule and subdue and be in charge and be fruitful, increase, have sex, have children. 
and these two things, raise family, build community, rule, what happened is that um, and that, that initial uh, command and sort of purpose really was given to both men and women and as I said there was complete harmony in all of those things and then sin came in and once sin came in God says okay now things have changed and he says there are going to be consequences as a result of what has happened here the fall and when he says there are consequences he, it's not like saying now you've done that I'm going to give you a smack it's not like that it's saying now you've done that things are different and I'm going to tell you how they're going to be different and he, and he spells it out for them and one of the things that has happened ever since as the result of the fall is those two side-by-side side side uh, purposes, um, rule and multiply, subdue, be fruitful, they've now become divided, and rule and subdue has become the male thing, and be fruitful, have the family, has become the female thing. To the extent that still now, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, we struggle to get our heads round, what does it look like for a woman to have kids and go back to work? What does it look like if a man chooses to have kids and go back to work? So a friend of mine that I often do this seminar with in England was telling me he was um, a director in the organisation that he worked for, and they adopted a little girl when she was 18 months old. And they decided as a couple that he would be the one to take the paternity leave. So he took a whole year off work as a director in his company. A whole year he took off to really input into Ellie. And then at the end of that year, uh, he went back to work. And on the day he went back to work, he was sat down by the managing director of the organisation. And the, the MD said to him, David, we need you to know that we're concerned about you. We're concerned about your commitment to this organisation. And David said he was so in shock in that moment that he just said, well, of course I'm committed. I've, I've had this year off, but I'm here. I'm ready to go. But he said what he wishes he'd done is walk out of the room. Mm -hmm. Because they were challenging mm -hmm. his ability and his commitment based on the fact that he had chosen to nurture his family. And that mm -hmm. is still today seen as the female role. And it's the men's role to go to work. Now, I'm not saying in your family, as you go on and grow and, and have kids of your own, I'm not saying I am the predominant caregiver in our home. I only work part-time. My husband works full-time. And uh, so I do the bulk of the caregiving, but I could not do it without him. And this week and the last two weeks, while I've been at Soul Survivors in Melbourne, Canberra, and now in Sydney, he's the one at home right now giving them their breakfast. Mm and looking after their bruised knees and dealing with the arguments between my two children. <coughs> the same command was given to both men and women, rule and subdue. And what happens is, like I said, the result of the fall, we divided those up, we started to assign these gender um, limitations of roles, but then we skip forward to the New Testament. And in Galatians, Paul um, is talking about the consequences, the outworking of, of, of the cross, of what Jesus came and achieved on the cross. Now I want you to grab this now because Paul is often associated with being against women, with being against women in leadership. We're going to look at that for the rest of the seminar basically. But just hold this in mind, this is now Paul speaking. And he says this in Galatians 3.28, There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Now, he's not saying that Jews don't exist, Gentiles don't exist, slaves don't exist, free people don't exist, and men and women don't exist. He's not saying that. What he's saying is because of the cross, we can now no longer put people in these boxes and judge people or, um, or say that one is better than the other. So he's saying, Jew, Jew or Gentile, now race is out of the window. We do not get to judge people based on their race and their heritage and where they were born. And he's saying slave or free, he's saying social status has no place in our churches. We do not get to go, oh, you're the ones with the money, or you're the ones with the influence, or you're the ones with the power, or you're the ones that will just keep to the back someone. We don't get to do that. And he said, Paul said, no longer male or female. Again, he's not saying that, that gender doesn't exist. What he's saying is we don't get to put these false limitations in around it because all are one in Christ Jesus. And we see it played out. We see it played out in the New Testament and we often miss it. We're going to come on in a moment to address one of the tricky passages. But before we do that, and we're only going to look at one because that's all we'll have time for, but I hope that by looking at one you'll have tools to apply to some of the other tricky passages. But before we look at that, again, Paul. Paul is often the one that people think, he's the one that didn't really like women. But uh, it turns out he really did. I remember my goddaughter, when she was eight years old, she said to me, Ali, where are the good women in the Bible? And I know what she meant, that often when we look at our Bibles, we see the heroes of the faith, whether that's like David in the Old Testament, or Moses, or Abraham, and in the New Testament we think of Peter, and we think of Paul, Barnabas even, and we go, we're scanning, and we're going, where are the women, where are the women? They're all over the place. We just don't always recognise it. And in Romans, I'm going to take just a couple of verses in Romans chapter 16, and I'm going to highlight for you three awesome women. And not only were these women awesome, but they were, and please forgive this language, because I don't like this way of talking about leadership, but for the purpose of this seminar, it's, going to, it's the only way I can think of to do it. These women were the top of the leadership game. Now, I don't like that, because in the Bible, we don't really get to see leadership as top. You know, we see Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. We see Jesus that taught servant leadership. And, you know, it's not a good way to talk about leadership, but I'm going to and say that the women I'm about to highlight for you, they were the bomb. They were the top. They were doing this stuff. Okay, Romans 16, really important passage in this whole thing. Starting with verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church of Centraia. I'm going to pause there for a minute and say there is no such thing in the Bible as deaconess. The word does not exist. Phoebe, a deacon, okay? Um, <laughs> a deacon of the church in Centraia. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now, when he says about Phoebe, you know, I ask you to receive her in a way, um, uh, uh, was it worthy of his people, and give her any help she might need. He's not saying, oh, poor Phoebe, poor pathetic, fragile Phoebe, can you look after her? He's saying, you know that way when you say, uh, she's with me. You know, she's like, you know, it's a bit like, this is a really bad analogy that just comes to me, but it's a bit like earlier on, Matt said to me, in the cafe, they know you're our guest, you order what you want, I've already told them. And if they, if they forget, then you just say, Matt says it's okay. That's not like, I don't have any money. He's saying, this is Ali, she's our guest, look after her. And it's a bit like that with Phoebe. It's a horrible analogy. I thought of it on my feet, and I'll probably regret it later. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but he's saying, right, Phoebe's here, I've sent her, whatever she wants, you get it for her. 
you, whatever she needs from you, she comes in my authority. And the understanding, the belief is that probably Phoebe was the one that carried the letter to the Romans, and so to the Roman church. And so we think of like putting something in the post, but the person who carried the letter came with that authority. And so there was an authority in, with Phoebe that he's saying, whatever she wants, give it to her. She's, I was about to say she's my man. Oh. Anyway, right. Then he moves on in verse three and four. This one is one of my favorites. He says this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Co-workers, let's pause there. I'm going to talk a bit more about Priscilla in a second, but co-workers. What was the work that Paul was doing? He was taking the gospel to the Gentile churches. He was leading people to the Lord. He was planting churches. He was establishing leadership structures. He was pastoring the new church. He was teaching the new church. And Priscilla and Aquila were his co-workers. So what Paul was doing, they were doing. So he says, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. The amazing thing about Priscilla and Aquila, they're a married couple. And we often see married couples in leadership, don't we? Even in churches where they're more nervous about women in leadership, it tends to be that if you're married, at least, that's the way in. Do not think that that is what is happening here with Priscilla and Aquila. She is not like... Hello, I'm Aquila, I am leaving this church, and here's my wife Priscilla who makes lovely cakes. By the way, I love people that make lovely cakes, so I'm not diminishing that at all. But this is not what is happening here. The reason why we know that this is not what is happening here is because her, her name is mentioned first. Now, in our culture, it's quite common and it's quite normal to say Mr. and Mrs. Martin, so we put the man first. This is a much more extreme version of that. In this culture, you put the person's name first who had the greatest prominence. And so, for example, you see in Paul and Barnabas, so Paul uh, was a Christian hater, he was rounding them up to have them killed and uh, put in prison and all that stuff, and then he met Jesus and he became a Christian. The early church is naturally nervous. They want to see, is he the real deal before we trust him? But while they're nervous, in comes Barnabas, this great man of encouragement, and he tucks Paul under his wing and he says, come with me, like, let's hang out together, let's do some of this stuff together. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see it's Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. Not every time, but the majority. And then, as Paul begins to rise in leadership and take on the role that God had for him, you see the switch. And again, it's not exclusive in this, but then it begins to be more commonly Paul and Barnabas. So the one with greater prominence, not the one with greater importance, because all are one in Christ Jesus, but the one of greater prominence. Whenever Priscilla and Aquila are talked about, her name is always, always mentioned first. So you can Google that, and you can look up every time we hear about Priscilla and Aquila, which isn't loads of times, but in the book of Acts. This is one of the key times that we read about them in the book of Acts. In Acts 18... We read about a guy called Apollos, and Apollos is one of the leaders of the new church. He's a great guy, he goes on to be a great leader. But at this point, in Acts 18, his theology has gone a bit left of centre. And so Priscilla <coughs> and Aquila take him to one side and they correct his, authority, his uh, theology. They say, no, this is where you're wrong, this is what you need to understand, and they correct his, his theology. Priscilla. And Aquila. And so if we have in our head, I don't think women are meant to teach a man 
how do we hold that then with Priscilla, who was teaching one of the leaders of the church? And he had to submit to her, and it changed his ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, really important um, example there. And they're his co-workers, as I've already said. Okay, on to verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Okay, two important things about that. Junia. Junia is a woman. <laughs> the early uh, translations of the Bible could not handle that a woman was called outstanding among the apostles. So what does apostle do? An apostle is one who is sent to... Um, to what I just how I described Paul earlier, that's an apostle, someone who's sent to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to pastor and to teach those new churches. And what they're saying here is that Junia, a woman, is outstanding among the few at that time that were doing such a cutting edge work, such a work of important leadership. Junior. And as I said, right, right, right at the beginning, the early church fathers couldn't handle the idea that that would be um, a, a woman doing that, but they added an S to her name to try and make it sound like a male name, but there is no male name, Junius. They have searched contemporary literature at the time that the New Testament was written, and they have found 200 uses of the word Junior. They have never found a Junius, and the Junior is always a female. So it's not like one of those names like um, Darcy can be male or female. It, this is a name like Bridget. Margaret. This is a Margaret. <laughs> she is only a woman and she is outstanding among the outstanding leaders. This is Paul. I don't know about you but this excites me every single time I come across it and not only does it excite me but it also challenges me. And I want to challenge you that if you have an inkling that you are called to leadership, are you fulfilling it to the fullest sense that God has for you today? Today. Not what has he got for you tomorrow, but are you saying to God in whatever he has given you, yes, I will look at Phoebe, I will look at Priscilla, I will look at Junior. And don't be, um, what's that word, don't uh, be persuaded to think that it was easy for them. We're going to look in a second as to why their culture, everything in their culture would have screamed at them, no. And yet, they had a call on their life to serve. Leadership is always about serving. They had a call on their life to serve the Church of Christ. And they did it. And we're going to see them in heaven. I cannot wait to have a cup of coffee with Priscilla. And I know that when I meet her and get to spend time with her, I know that I will recognise her spirit in some of the other women that I already see around me doing ministry. Some of the women who are leading churches, some of the women who, when they speak, they're so unapologetic. They don't, it's not even part of their... You'll have seen them. I hope and pray you will have seen them. And if you haven't, look at Priscilla. Look at her and be encouraged. Anyway, this is a seminar on leadership women in leadership and I want it to encourage us, I want it to challenge us but at the back of our minds we are all thinking yes but I bet at some point and what I've said this morning there's a yes but in your mind yes but didn't Paul say that women should be quiet how do we hold the two 
But what I want us to do is take a whistle-stop tour around one of the tricky passages. And instead of answering loads of questions, I think what I want to do is prompt the fact that as we read our Bible, most of the time we are sifting. And I want to show you what that means in this 1 Timothy uh, 2 passage and see if that helps us understand that when someone says to us, but Paul says women are to be silent, it is as simple as that, that not only can it not be as simple as that, because we've just looked at Genesis, Galatians, and Romans, not only is it not as simple as that, but also even in the passage alone, it's not as simple as that. So we're going to read uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, and we're going to whiz through this little time that we've got left, and then I'll try and squeeze in a couple of questions at the end. Okay. Therefore, he says, okay, so first of all, this is Paul talking to Timothy, who's a leader in the church. And so a lot of uh, Paul, what Paul is talking to him about is like how to run a church, how to pastor a church, how to deal with church problems and disputes, okay? So that's like the, that's the edge of Paul's letters to Timothy. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want women, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach, there we go, or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. We knew it was coming. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. How many tricky things in one passage. Let's start right where I started. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. Okay, we've got two, three men in the, in the room. Whenever you pray, do you lift up holy hands every single time you pray? Not every time. Not every time. I mean, 99% not every time. So already, already we understand, even as we read that, none of us probably have read that and gone, oh my goodness. I need to talk to the men in our church because they are not lifting up holy hands every single time they pray. So already there's a part of us that is going, I understand there is something contextual happening here. I understand that this must be addressing something specific to that situation. Otherwise, every time a man prayed, they would have to walk along like this. So they're walking to work in the morning and they're like this. They're at their desk and they've got a tricky situation. Their hands are like this. They're at church and they're like this. And we don't expect that, so we're naturally, we're filtering and saying some of this must be contextual. What do we mean by contextual? We're understanding that there's situations that even though the, church, the Bible is the Word of God, is living and active, it is the eternal, unchanging Word of God, society and context do change. And so what we're saying is there's something going on that Timothy was facing here that is not an everyday situation for us today. And the clue, perhaps, is what comes next, because he says, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And so could it be that Paul is saying, your hands, guys, they're not for fighting. Not in the church, come on. Not in family. We're family. We're one in Christ Jesus. This is not for violence. This is for prayer. This is for worship. And in that matter, do, do we think women that lets us off the hook 
Does that mean that our hands can be used for violence? Does that mean that our bodies can be used to hurt other people? Of course not. But he was addressing something specific that caused him to say, men, pay attention. Hands, as I would say to my kids when they were little, gentle hands, kind hands. That's what Paul is saying to the men here. Okay, I want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles of gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, a couple of things. Remember we read in Galatians, there's no ritual for. We said the social status is not allowed a place in the church. And the only way you could dress like Paul <coughs> described there would be if you were wealthy. And so there's partly, there's that of saying, excuse me, this is not the place to be like, I'm better than you, look at my gold, look at my pearls, look at my elaborate hairstyle. So that's partly it. Partly, he's saying, <coughs> by the way, the outside doesn't matter half as much as good deeds. That's your worship. Now again, does that mean men? That their men are uh, not to worry about their good deeds? That what, what makes the quality, the character, the good-lookingness of a man is that really about what's going on the outside? And okay, so maybe in that culture then, he didn't need to... Um, address that, but today I see a greater, certainly in England, I see a greater pressure on men than ever to look good, all the time. It is unthinkable for young men in England to not have a gym membership. And that's not about health half the time, that's about having guns. That's about looking the part. And so maybe that wasn't an issue that he had to address then, but actually I wonder what Paul would say to men today, guys. Your gorgeousness is not based on what everyone else is looking at, but it's about what God is doing in your heart. Okay, another thing to say about the women here. The backdrop, the contextual cultural backdrop is a couple of things going on. Christianity was a liberating uh, faith, and it's still meant to be today. So culturally, this would have been the situation for women in the first century. You would not have been educated. Unless you were from a ridiculously wealthy family, you would not have been educated at all. You would have been married off at a very young age, and you would have pretty much stayed at home, the homestead. You would have stayed in that home built community, there to raise children and to cook and clean for the men. That would be your lot in life. Then two things happened. Jesus came, and Jesus elevated women like no one had. He said, women, you're part of my team. You're going to travel with me. You see Mary sitting at his feet, which was such a shocking thing that she did. Women did not sit at the feet of a rabbi because that place was a place of learning. When you sat at the foot of the rabbi, you were saying, give me your best stuff. I'm going to eat up your teaching in order to go on and teach others. So when Mary assumed that position and Jesus says she's chosen the better way, he was praising the audacity of a woman to say, I want to hear. I want to learn from you, rabbi. And he gave, we, we know this so often. We've probably heard it over the Easter weekend. But when he rose from the dead, the single greatest moment of history, who did he appear to? A woman. At a time where a woman's testimony was not valid in court. So a woman could not testify in court. It was not, there was, her, her voice could not be heard. Her voice was not valid. And yet he appears to Mary and he says, go and tell the men that I've risen. And in this way and in other ways, he lifted women up. And so what happened is when Christianity then spread, it was known as, in a, in a derogatory way, it was known as a religion of women. Because it was like, oh my gosh, they let the women in, and women are given a bit of a status, and so that would have been looked down on in that culture. But what an amazing thing. 
which we do not see in our women, which we don't experience, thankfully. Okay, so you've got that. You've got the Christianity backdrop. But then on top of that, there was a movement that was happening um, around that time where women, not in the church initially, although it certainly bled into the church, we think, from passages like this, uh, where women were going, hold on a minute. I have nothing. The men have everything. I have no freedom. I have no education. I have no wealth of my own. I have nothing. And the men in our lives have everything. They have freedom. They have education. They were very promiscuous often in that culture. So uh, men would go to the temple to worship the goddess Diana, and they'd have sex with the temple prostitutes. Um, it was just part of life. And there were some women, uh, who, they began to kick against that. And you understand why. But as with all swings of the pendulum, they took it to the other extreme. So they didn't just say, actually, we would love an education. We would love some freedom here. They were like, we want everything you've got and more. And so we're going to be promiscuous, and we're going to leave the home, and we're going to despise child rearing. We've been put in that box for too long. We're going to leave all that behind. And so this is the backdrop that you've got that is bubbling away when Paul writes into this situation. And so um, that's going to help us, because then he goes on and says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. First of all, that line, a woman should learn, is one of the most radical lines in the Bible. Given that women were not allowed to be educated, he was saying, address that. A woman should learn. A woman should know the word of God. That's the foundation. That's the security. Let the women learn into a society that we're not letting them learn. But he says they need to do that in quietness and full submission. How are you learning now? You're quiet, and even if you disagree with me, in this moment you are submitted to my voice. Because that's the only way to learn. That's why teachers don't let you talk in class. You can't take on board while you're doing something else. So he's saying you need to learn. Women, you've got to learn. But as you do that, I know the backdrop is one of throwing off, we don't need the men, we don't need anything to do with you. No, that's not the way we do it in the body of Christ. Yeah. We, we quieten down, mm. we are humble, and we say, teach me. And in order to teach me, I'm going to be quiet. Okay, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Ah! <laughs> Why did it have to be there? This is a really tricky. There are two passages in this um, uh, lines in this passage that are really tricky to understand. But it seems to be that that line "assume authority" is one of like um, what's that word? I can never remember the word. But I want that. I'm gonna look in my notes. Who said it? Usurp. Usurp. Dominate. Thank you. Um, there is still another word that I want. Da -da -da -da. Oh, be aggressive, like an aggressive taking of authority. What was that? That's fine. Be quiet. I, I had someone in the church service once tell me to be quiet when I did that. They actually, it was a man, they actually said, no, women need to be quiet. <laughs> oh. Do you know, one of my secret things is I'd love to meet him again. Anyway. <laughs> How do you like me now? Anyway. <laughs> I didn't say that. We're not recording it. Yes, we are. Shh. <laughs> Um, yeah, to, to assume, to be aggressive in their taking of authority. 
And actually, no Christian leader is allowed to do that. Yeah. There is no room mm. for any leadership that looks like that. Now, if you're still not convinced by that, remember Romans 16. <coughs> remember that Paul, the same guy that's saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority, is the same man who commended Phoebe, uh, Phoebe who commended Priscilla, who assumed authority over Apollos. So we have to say there's more that's going on because Paul would be crazy if he, not, on the one hand, said no to something that he himself was practicing, particularly as this is the inspired word of God. At Soul Survivor, we love this book. And we want you to love this book. We're not going to throw it away. There's things in here that we wish weren't in here. I think we'd all be mad if that wasn't the case. And when you read the Bible and you're like, really? Really, I have to do that? Really, I have to serve that way? Yes, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. So if there's something in here, we're going to follow it. But we're not going to do that blindly and just say, okay, so it says be silent. Okay, everyone there, be quiet. We're not going to do that when we see Paul releasing and encouraging and holding up these women that were doing the other. So like I said earlier, when you see those tricky things, stand back and say, what's the consistent practice of the Bible? What did it look like in the beginning? And what, what is the thread of this? And the thread of this is Genesis, Galatians, Romans. Hold all of that before you get too worried about this. And we've already said, men don't lift up their hands every time they pray. So there's something about this passage that is contextual that was addressing situations then. Okay, really, really quickly, because I've taken too long on that. Adam was formed first. Don't be too worried about that. Again, this is contextual, because there's another passage in Romans 5. Paul actually says it the other way around. So sometimes he's going to go after the women because he's saying, excuse me, you need to remember, you're trying to throw off men, but actually you need each other, you know. And then at other times he's saying, oi, men, you're responsible for this. And it's not that he's schizophrenic, it's that he's teaching into different situations. And also what some people have said here, because it says Adam was formed first, then Eve, people have said that that is uh, one of the places where people would go to say about men having um, authority over a woman. You know, but actually, if you talk about who was created first, then we would all be bowing down to the grass because the grass came way earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that can't be true. So this is again him saying, you women that are rising up, no, the pendulum is swinging too far that way. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And then finally, women will be saved through childbearing. I'm so sorry, all of you who are here that haven't had children, you're not going to heaven. Of course that's not true. <laughs> There's one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. So again, the next time someone says, well, it's straightforward, women must be silent, they mustn't teach, you say, well, uh, excuse me, man who didn't have a baby, <laughs> you know, or, I mean, he actually, it says here, women will be saved through childbearing, and yet the story of the entire gospel is that women will be saved through Jesus Christ. I'm not going in through a different door to heaven than you because I've had two children. All, we all go through the door, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the door, he's the gate, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus. So perhaps Paul was talking to these women who were saying, we don't, we don't want to uh, raise kids anymore. That was so last century. You know, <coughs> who wants that? Maybe he was saying, look, don't forget the preciousness of the call to raise families. Maybe. Um, this passage, no one can agree on it. And the only reason why I highlight that is to say it's not straightforward. 
It might be that what Paul was saying is let's remember that all of us are saved through childbearing in the sense that that's, that's how Jesus chose to come. So to a group of women who are despising raising kids in the new freedom of these liberation movements and the Christian faith, he's saying don't forget how important childbearing is and how much of a part of God's original call and the salvation plan it was. So, the tricky passages. That's one of them. I want you to use it when you next come across another bit that seems like, what? And remember, there's stuff going on that we don't understand now culturally unless we look into it. Um, it's not straightforward, but the message of the whole Bible is that men and women together bear the image of God, were both called to rule as well as nurture family. And when and don't get stuck into that doesn't mean that in your whole life you have to choose one of those camps or even both those camps. Not every one of us will raise families. It's not talking about that. It's talking about when it comes to leading and nurturing, subduing and caring, the priority of leadership and community, these things matter and that we're called to it together. This is what we firmly believe the Bible teaches. Any questions? Yeah, oh, wow, you were ready to go. Yes. Um, so I've heard people say to me before that, like, Paul sent those women and so he passed on the authority of men to those women to be able to speak. How would you, um, like, not argue, but, like, what, what would be your yeah. position on that? Like, how would you speak against that and say, no, yeah. like, God is the one who sent It's not because of the man's authority, it's because of God's. Yeah. I think partly the way that he talks about them, when he talks about, for example, a junior being outstanding among the apostles, he was an apostle. Mm -hmm. So even as an apostle, he's saying, she still shines. Mm -hmm. She's still out there as this example. And in many ways, there is no other way to take it other than the fact that he wasn't... In that culture, you couldn't have had a female Paul. You just couldn't have had the one that opened the doors, couldn't have been a woman because the doors would have stayed closed. Mm. It had to be a man. It's a bit like when I do this seminar at home, I usually do it with a man. And the reason for that is not because I don't think I have the authority to speak on it, but because I know that if someone doesn't have the same theological viewpoint <coughs> as me, they're not going to hear the truth from me. Mm. They will only hear mm. it from a man. And so it's a bit like that of Paul then in that position that God has given him he is using that position to the fullest to say, I'm a, one of these apostles, now look, now look at Judah. He's opening the door in a way that a woman could not have done mm. at that time. Another question, yes? Um, can you describe the scripture? Yeah. Can just oh. out a bit um, where Adam was not the one deceived? Oh yes, Adam was not the one deceived. So this could be that here Paul is addressing the, the, the need for women to be educated. Because in, um, in the creation story, uh, God says to Adam, you're not to eat from that fruit. And at that point, Eve isn't around. And of course, it's then Eve that eats the fruit. So it could be that Paul is saying, when women are educated, it, and I don't, he, I don't believe that he is just talking about education like you know, Pythagoras <coughs> theorem, all that kind of thing. But that he's talking about when women understand this, Society works. Well, my friend um, at home who works in international uh, relief and aid and, and development and all that kind of area, now he's actually working a lot in justice, 
he says that everywhere in the world that is in poverty and famine and horrendous situations, things begin to change when you educate women. Mm. And that's one of the reasons. And that's not because we're better than. It's because that's where the enemy often has his hold. Right from the beginning, the enemy has gone after women. And where you see that in cultures where women are suppressed and silenced and excluded, you begin to educate them and they play their part in society, mm. things begin to turn around. Because men and women together represent God. Let us make man and women in our image. And men alone cannot represent God. And women alone cannot represent God. And even together, we don't quite cut it because he's perfect and we're not. But together we do a much better job. And so in that passage then, it could well be that Paul is saying, when women don't know, they're deceived. So let them learn, because it's part of the same passage that says a woman should learn. Let the women learn. And it could be that he's saying then, when that doesn't happen, they're open to deception in a way that they just wouldn't be if they knew. Even if that's not the case, even if that, for anyone here, is too much like, oh, that's a bit like guesswork, Remember that there are other passages in the Bible where Paul switches it around and he talks about um, Adam being the one deceived. And so either way, it's not that he's picking and choosing, he's speaking into direct situations and saying, sometimes men, be careful, and at other times he's saying, here, this is a woman, this is a passage that is speaking uh, strongly to women, and that's okay, you know, we can be okay with that, because he's addressing it and saying, women, be careful, men, let them learn. Mm. Any other questions? Yeah. Well, like you say to someone who said um, that Jesus picked 12 male disciples. Yeah. It's a similar one to what I said uh, to the question here about Paul was the one that released um, mm. these other female leaders. If Jesus had come and picked 12 female disciples, or even six of one and six of the other, it would have made no cultural sense. They would have been as good as useless because no one would have seen them as being the ones to start the early church. The men had to be the forerunners because they were the ones that society would listen to. Also, hold on to this. So as I've given you one tool for looking at these tri tricky passages in the Bible, here's another one. Every single thing that Jesus did was deliberate. So when you read that something in the Gospels that feels like a bit Jesus is being a bit unhinged, I'm thinking of things like the turning of the tables in the temple or the cursing of the fig tree, and it feels like, oh, embarrassing. My saviour's having a tantrum. I don't know how to look at him right now. He wasn't having a tantrum. He chose that moment to say something very deliberate. And that's a subject I'd love to teach on at some point, what he was doing when he turned over the tables in the temple. I love that story. Uh, when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, it's all deliberate. So when he picked 12, he wasn't just going, ah, oh, okay, my hands are tied culturally here. He was saying this, 12 men that represent the first 12 men, that were the 12 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus saying, this is a new day for God's people. I'm establishing a new way for God's people. In the same way, uh, when Jesus walked into the room, I think Matt might have referred to it last night, in John somewhere towards the end, and uh, he, he's risen from the dead, and there are the men in the room, and they're, they're fearful because he's been uh, crucified, 
and he comes and he appears to them and he says peace and then he breathes on them again we read that and we just go yeah yeah fine Jesus breathed on them but if I walked up to you now and breathed on you particularly as I had a breakfast burrito this morning you'd be like hell no but but he did it not to be weird but to be deliberate so you see Jesus breathing and what we're meant to do is go hold on there's an echo in that in the same way that when we see him picking 12 men we're meant to go hold on that reminds me of something I've seen way way back when Jesus breathed on these guys when did he first breathe in creation when he created Adam and Eve and then he bends down he breathes life into the man now he breathes life into his church and we're meant to see the echoes so 12 men represent the 12 tribes of Israel and a good Jewish boy would have known that they would have gone I know what he's doing here he's being deliberate he's saying something's changed and we're in a new era God's kingdom has broken Guys, you've been amazing in your concentration this morning. It's a hard thing to jump around with, um, but you've done brilliantly. I hope it's helpful. Let me pray. You are such a good God. Your word is amazing. The way that you treat your people whom you love is amazing. We worship you, God. And God, my heartfelt prayer for everyone in this room and the groups that they represent. God is that for every one of them they would tune into the call on their life and would say yes. Yes to serving your church. Yes to preaching your word. Yes to serving your world. Yes to preaching the gospel yes to whatever you have and that as men and women together we would cheer one another on we would uh, speak good news to your world in the way that we treat one another we would humble ourselves and Lord that we would somehow reflect your beauty somehow reflect your love and compassion to a world that so desperately needs your love in Jesus name Amen. 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 Be blessed, guys. Have a great morning. And it's good to know you. Now. Gabby. Yeah, one sec. Sorry. I, I can't stop it for you. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. Bye. Bye.